The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. No one needs to be told mental health is at a crisis point in this country. And while there is welcome news of 1.9 billion of new funding in the latest budget, right now, services are stretched. Finding the right care at the right time is a challenge. Knowing how to navigate the system is a challenge. Even knowing when to reach out for help and where to do that is hard. The whole system itself is set up on a reactive model, but as with all health and fitness, preventative and proactive is better than reactive. So how do we do this with mental health care? Well, questions like these and more have led to today's guest starting a new venture, creating an AI chatbot that helps to mimic a GP consult, but creating an atmosphere and feeling of a chat with a knowledgeable friend. It helps to increase people's comfort in sharing information and sends people to the right places for the assistance they need next. It's called Clearhead. It's in market now and making a difference from the get-go. To chat the journey, the need and what's next, co-founder, CEO and doctor, Angela Lim joins us now. Kia ora, thank you for joining us. Kia ora. Hey, so tell me first up, like, um, you trained long and hard mm. uh, to become a doctor uh, in, in paediatrics. Mm. Um, what, was the, what was the kind of drive to go from being a doctor to becoming an entrepreneur and making a difference in the space? Yeah, um, there is nothing quite like the relationship you have with your patients. It's very special. Um, but it also became frustrating when you felt that you were constantly the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. And what you're doing is have patients come in when they're unwell. You They're well enough to kind of be sent home, um, but we never give them the tools to stay well. And then we get surprised when they come back in. And so increasingly, I started to see that the system as a whole was not set up to um, enable um, patients' well-being, uh, which meant that there was a real missed opportunity use, to use technology to help um, with that process. And while you were working as a doctor, this isn't your first uh, venture, is it? Like you've been uh, on the entrepreneurial path for quite a while. Yeah, um, this is my second startup. My first startup, I um, did it while I was in my final year of medical school. Um, it was really to um, try and solve this problem where you had people on the front line really understanding the problem, having really great ideas, but um, their ideas don't often filter up to the top of the decision-making um, process where people get funded 
to um, try these out as projects. And so what we wanted to do um, was to be able to have an innovation pipeline um, in the hospitals where there are thousands of people to make sure that people democratically is able to pick what are the great ideas and what will get funded. Because there must be so many smart people seeing the same problems over and over and then, you know, creating that pipeline to get the idea out is such a great idea. Yeah, um, unfortunately, uh, management didn't buy it, (laughs) which I think, um, again, reflects the particular problem that it was trying to solve, which is that... um, Healthcare is quite interesting in that there is almost an antagonistic relationship between those who provide the care and those who are um, managing the system. Um, and so this um, disconnect um, um, makes people feel that um, their ideas or their opinions don't matter. Um, and I think the fact that um, not putting a, a system like this in place um, is a reflection of... Um, the current status quo. Right, but not to be kind of knocked down by the status quo, uh, you're, you're starting again with, with Clearhead. You started again with Clearhead. What was the kind of founding insight that, that made you decide to start an AI chatbook? Um, it was actually to prove that it is possible that in healthcare we can work with emerging technology um, and not still be using fax machines and pages from the 1960s that I still do um, when I was um, working last year um, <clears throat> and be able to do it in a timely manner and to not um, cost the system too much money. And I had oversight of that because I sat on multiple um, governance boards for health IT projects that were being rolled out nationally. Uh, There was one called the Shared Care Plan, which was around, can you create a platform where all your different providers can be on the same page around managing your care for someone with chronic and multiple comorbidities? Because there is a remarkable situation at the moment, isn't there, where the individual needing care sees so many different providers at so many different uh, stages of the process, yet all of that information isn't shared and isn't centrally known necessarily. Yeah, um, and I think part of that is um, not even having the infrastructure to do that. So, for example, if you see your GP, they have their own patient management system. So their electronic health record is separate from the ones that you see from the hospital. And often because of that lack of communication, um, it meant that in some cases patient harm occurs. And I imagine that when you have something that has such stigma uh, outside, but also such a hard thing for people personally grappling with things like mental health and, and depression, that when there is a difficulty or a barrier in seeking help, that must make it harder again. Yeah, and we know that um, because of that stigma, most people are not seeking help. Um, but even if those who have finally got to the point where they do want to seek help, um, they have challenges um, being able to get the help that they need. And it always breaks my heart when you hear um, stuff like GPs telling you that um, they would have patients confiding to them that I'm feeling like I want to kill myself right now and they feel that they are not able to make the appropriate referrals because they know they would just be um, rejected. And I imagine that the process, like a GP, although obviously a really important person in a patient's uh, life, maybe booking an appointment at some time in the future and then having to go to a clinic and sit in a waiting room to talk to someone 
isn't the most reactive uh, at the moment uh, possible solution to someone needing help with such a, a, a situation. Yeah, and again, it's um, actually an example of healthcare being able to really come into the 21st century. Why is it that there are so many things that we are used to in our day-to-day lives, um, for example, with Uber, with our online banking, um, we are able to do what we need to get done at the time in which we want to get them done. And healthcare is very much about the power sitting with um, uh, the provider. Uh, and so you get told when you're going to be seen. Um, and it might be at a time that's inconvenient for you. So it might be at a time, if you think about it, for someone needing to organize multiple childcare um, arrangements. It might be at a time where it's just before you're going to do a very important presentation at work. So you know your schedule best. Why is it that you're not able to uh, ensure that that is um, a part of the process in which you decide when you get to seek the care that is important to you? And there are very real capacity issues at the moment, aren't there? It's not that the system... um, you know, has heaps of latency that people aren't uh, aren't accessing. Like mm. it's there's a lot of you know w- wonderful caring professionals working as hard as they can at an absolute limit, aren't there? Oh, absolutely. Um, the only reason our health system as a whole is still functioning is because you get the surgeons who come in in the weekend when they're not actually scheduled to work to meet our targets that have been set by the government. Um, it is the um, capacity of the sector to almost exploit the goodwill of um, practitioners who really we live by our oath of doing good um, and doing no harm. Um, And so if you look at mental health specifically, 97% of the budget currently goes to 3% of the population that needs it. So what happens to the other 97% that needs it? I think um, that is something that we really need to ask ourselves seriously how are we going to achieve that? And uh, you mentioned, for example, the well-being budget and the $1.9 billion that is being uh, invested into mental health over the next four years. Um, the government should be applauded for very clearly signaling that this is an important priority. But the challenge will be around how that is implemented. So, for example, even with um, majority of this funding going into um, delivery of care, Their target is that they want to have 375,000 more people be able to access mental health care in in your uh, primary care setting. If you know the statistics of um, one in every um, two New Zealanders will face some sort of mental health challenge in uh, in their lifetime, we're looking at 2.5 million people at some point in their life needing care. And so when you talk about 375,000 people, it just doesn't cut the mustard. Um, And so we need to be um, bold enough to say, okay, um, we have been uh, needing to invest in things that are more scalable, that are more cost effective. And I think that technology such as ours, using artificial intelligence, allows that to happen. Yeah, tell tell us a little bit about, you know, how ClearHead works and you know, what would an experience be for a user if they uh, accessed it? Um, yeah, so we came from the perspective of trying to understand that most people might be having something niggling in the background that they don't know if it's normal um, or are they going crazy. Um, 
And because of the stigma of mental health, they don't really want to be asking their friends or family, you know, how, when was the last time you can remember a friend sitting you down and saying, hey, I think I have depression, or it, it's very rare that that happens. And most people are currently just using Dr. Google, um, which is not the best place to find information, um, especially when we know we don't have a very digitally literate population. So what we tried to do was say, can we do better than Dr. Google? And what we developed was a platform that basically guides you towards helping you figure out um, what your problem is um, and what help exists for you to access and what tools can you use to stay well. Um, so really, we're New Zealand's first AI-driven diagnostic and triage tool um, for mental health. And so how it works is you come onto the site and you say, um, and you um, chat with our chatbot. Uh, it's kind of like texting someone. And the chatbot asks you a series of questions that mimics a GP's consult. If the GP had all the time to sit down with you and let you go through this um, set of questions. And then at the end of it, it provides you with a summary that you can then show your GP. So that your GP immediately understands what is it that you're going through, how bad is it, uh, and how is it affecting your life. And then from there, you can immediately take what normally takes 45 minutes to get through that whole process. The patient is doing it in their own time, uh, in the privacy of their home, um, where we know the research shows they're more likely to openly disclose um, what they're going through more truthfully, um, and then be able to kind of find you the help immediately. So instead of spending the first um, consult going, what's the challenge? It goes, let's refine um, what I understand your problem is and then immediately start with getting you the help that you need. Um, so that's one thing we do. The other thing that um, is quite hard to do is find therapy. And so what we've done is we've built um, basically Airbnb, but for therapists. And um, the reason we did that was because um, we know we have the highest youth suicide rates um, in the world. In fact, the second next um, highest suicide rate is eight times less than us. That's the scale in which we're not dealing with this problem in our country for the last 10 years. And so how do you engage young people? You go to where they are. You know, they are much more, um, even the ones that are really unwell, you'll see them on their phone. Um, and also, you want to use tools in which they're familiar with. So they're familiar with Airbnb, so they're more likely to um, search for something uh, similar to that style and book online. Because you try to call a young person on the phone today, they're not going to pick up their phone. Um, and then finally, can you give people tools to understand themselves better? So it's not that you um, don't know that you need to go for a run once a week because that makes you feel better. But do you have a system where it reminds you and, it, um, and you can track your progress um, to build that self-awareness um, for yourself? So really, we try to have a very holistic system in understanding how people will go through the care journey. Um, and can we do it in a really supportive manner? Um, and through using technology, it's available when you want it and not when it's the nine to five where people are working. How are you getting this in front of people? Like, how are people adopting it and uh, and, and interacting with it? Yeah, um, doing podcasts like this yeah. helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, Clearhead is free to use. So please um, download it and share it with anyone that um, you feel um, uh, would find it helpful. Um, but uh, one of the things we did was to really live by our values. 
um, and our values was one, um, to be collaborative. And so actually this whole thing was co-designed with mental health users. Um, the chatbot was co-designed with psychiatrists and GPs to have that clinical validity. Um, we uh, Our second value was manakitanga, um, which is really around that guided caring um, process. And that's why our chatbot does that for you. Um, and that sort of that authenticity and transparency allows us um, to kind of um, share with you our journey the, since we started in September. And so one of the ways we've built um, through word of mouth is on our through our social media channels. Um, but that only gets you to a certain point. Um, so where we are at now in our partnership journey is we're working through PHOs. Um, PHOs are the organizing bodies for um, all the thousands of GPs in the country. There are 32 of them in this country, 32 PHOs. Um, so last week, for example, we had a meeting with um, seven of the PHOs um, and uh, six of them have already come back to me around um, wanting to um, have further discussion around how will they get this out to the um, the people that need it. Um, as I'm sure you know, product market fit is everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine that you must have, um, you, you know, the, the challenges that most apps have with building mm. uh, awareness with the extra challenge of people aren't exactly going to um, in droves jump on Facebook and say, I'm mm. using this and I'm loving it mm. because of that mm. overwhelming difficulty in, in talking about mental health. And I wonder, you know, you, you, that, that, that idea of... Um, uh, mental health being like a sprain where mm. everyone sprains themselves sometimes and then you bounce back rather than mental health being as it's treated now, like some kind of um, constant that then settles. Mm. Uh, yeah, how, how do apps like this actually help to evolve the conversation into looking at uh, mental health issues in the context of people's wider lives? Yeah, I think that... Um these conversations are being had at the moment. So what you do see is, um, and I have a lot of people tell me these, um, is that other people will ask them, oh, um, what therapist, I want to see a therapist. Um, who did you see? Um, and seeing a therapist is a very individual process. Um, so you might have depression, but the reasons in which you have depressions can be very varied. It could be because you're being burned out at work. It could be because you're being bullied at school. It could be because you've lost your partner. There's a whole host of reasons. And you want to see someone um, that um, is actually appropriate for what you're going through. And so what we've delivered basically is a platform that um, a support person like a friend or family can say, okay, well, I saw this person, but I'm not sure if they might be right for you. Why don't you go on to Clearhead and you can um, use the system to help you figure out exactly what your challenge is and find you the right help that's specific to it. Because at the moment, we don't do that personalization. You know, even when you see a GP, for example, because of the 15-minute time constraint, they very rarely sit down and ask you, um, how is it that you want to receive your information? Do you like to watch videos? Do you like to read books? Um, so those are the questions that we ask um, so that we can provide help to you um, in a way that you would actually be receptive to receiving and therefore improve your health literacy. At what stage should people be interacting with the app? Um, we believe that um, 
it's best suited for those in the mild to moderate end of the spectrum, not people who are currently going through crisis. Um, when you're at that stage, really you need much more wraparound intensive care that only a human can deliver. Um, but even if all you feel is like, oh, I'm not as productive at work as I like to be, sometimes it is, again, that lack of self-awareness that tools like ours can help. And when people do uh, interact with the app, what when you say that um, there are multiple ways that people can then progress, so they might be uh, given uh, information or they might uh, be able to access kind of the marketplace for the most appropriate um, uh, person to speak to next, mm. how do you go about creating the kind of information and those journeys for people? Like uh, how, how do you vet what information people should see and and uh, kind of keep keep up with them on the journey? Um. Yeah, it, they completely are able to decide that process. So they decide what information they want to disclose, um, what information they want to see, um, and then they uh, are able to save all those settings and um, whatever recommendations that we provide them. So everything really is in your own hands, and I think that's fundamentally what we wanted to do. We wanted to provide the consumer the control. We want to make sure that we do it in a manner that's convenient for them and provide them with a whole lot of choice that's actually available. For example, on our database, we took six months basically to curate what is evidence-based um, that works out there in terms of mental health. And we have more than 600 plus um, resources on our site. If you ask um, any uh, you know, practitioner, for example, they might have a couple of things that they have off the top of their head. They're not going to have 600 things off the top of their head. And so that's the role where technology can really supplement or augment the experience that you have with a human um, person. And how does this help with, like, the geographic spread of people and the fact uh, mm. so few people have the same GP uh, across mm. their lifetime now and so many people move and so many people are, you know, distant from uh, the, the care they need? Yeah. So um, the challenge of ensuring that equity in healthcare outcomes um, is really prominent in areas like the regions, um, especially those that are slightly more rural. Um, and that's just because the investment just isn't allocated as much as, say, your urban centres like Auckland. Um, and also they have unique challenges like the closest therapist might be 50 kilometres away. So what a site like ours does is allow you to first search, for example, for who are the therapists available that um, delivers online therapy. And also the other thing when you think about with these communities is, you know, the same person that you're going to see on um, as a therapist might be the same person that on Friday you're going to have drinks with um, over a barbecue. Um, and then it gets awkward. And, may, and if you take the angle from, for example, Maori, um, they don't want people to talk about their business. Um, it, it's, a, it's a different layer of that stigma question. And so it gives people who don't otherwise have choice in their communities to look for those outside of those communities to get the help that they need. And therefore, they're more likely to seek help. So that's how we think we will be able to help um, the regions. And how are you going with getting the word out and getting users? And, and yeah, how are things going with the progress? Um, it's going 
much better than expected. <laughs> we had 100 users sign up in the first 24 hours. Um, we actually haven't done any real marketing spend. Um, and in the first month, we had 1,500 unique visitors. Um, but again, it is about making sure that we're getting the right people accessing our site. And that's why we are working together with the PHOs. Um, and through that, for example, if I can get those um, seven PHOs on board, that's a coverage of 1.6 million people just in Auckland. Um, so getting the word out through that is a slow process and I think one that I constantly have to remind myself. Um, but I think tr um, we've made sufficient traction to know that we're meeting a need. And it must take so much development ahead of actually getting it out and about like how have you gone about kind of building the team and accessing the funding and, and mm. building the infrastructure to make sure that it is uh, yeah, cl clinically uh, valid and also mm. will win the trust of mm. uh, these medical professionals it was hard yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, talent is surprisingly hard to find mm. um, but we're very lucky we have a very talented team which is why we were able to build the platform within six months um, anyone organization trying to do something similar would have taken five times as long and probably 10 times as expensive. Um, you know, because essentially the team is me as the non-technical clinical person. And then I have a back-end developer um, who's my co-founder, um, a front-end developer and a mobile app developer. Um, and that's it. <laughs> um, and then we kind of have been working um, with the clinicians um, on their own time. So um, that's usually me being the person liaising that. Um, yeah, so setting up the team um, was probably one of the hardest thing we had to do, getting it right. Um, and then really, um, I think because people really understand that this is an important cause, they're more than happy to help. Um, and so that's how we've been able to kind of get um, some interest to work with us. Um, yeah. And you have a really long history of involvement with governance across a whole bunch of organisations, which um, which is so so cool to see. Like, what's what's got you interested in the first instance? Because right through medical school and the like, um, taking really key roles in things like the board of uh, the YWCA, and then working um, currently as the chair. You know, right through currently to be the chair of um, uh, Trust Twenty Twenty, which is amazing. Yeah. Um I think that uh, I never quite felt that I fitted in a medical school. Um, so governance was something I fell into as in, during my search to understand um, what is it that I could be good at and how can I contribute better to a, um, to a society that I felt um, I could really make an impact on. Um, so the YWCA was one of the earliest boards I sat on um, and then really just getting a real bug for it basically you know seeing how you can contribute at a strategic level um, around how resources are being allocated to actually achieve the goals in which we've set ourselves to um, and I think because of my background um, being someone who was a migrant and uh, a medical doctor you don't really get doctors on boards um, really brought a flavor um, and a way of seeing the world that people don't anticipate some of the questions that I ask. Um, so I think that um, being able to really feel that tangibly you've made a difference in how the organization achieves its aim um, was something that I felt um, I wanted to keep doing. 
And what's kind of being involved in those things? How has that helped you build what you're doing? As I imagine you've seen uh, a lot of leadership styles and a lot of different kind of leaders and, and, mm. and have a great network of those people. Yeah. And yeah, has, has that helped build out what you do? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that entrepreneurship is so glorified today and you talk to most um, young people uh, before they even graduated from university and everybody's like, I want to be an entrepreneur. And I think people seriously underestimate how hard this is. Mm. Um, even with the traction that we have, there are times where me and my co-founder would have really deep and long talks about are we on the right track? Are we doing the right things? Um, should we keep going? Um, and the last 10 years have been about gaining the experience to understand what it's like to lead a team. Um, and I learned very quickly that actually open communication and making people not feel that there is a hierarchy, uh, that everybody is part of the same mission, built a really strong culture in which everybody takes responsibility um, for what they set out to do, which is again around the ownership that allowed us to achieve the goals that we set, um, which was pretty ambitious to start with. Um, networks are crucial. Um, you know, one of the two key problems we wanted to solve with Clearhead was the accessibility to care issue, which we've talked about um, already, but also the fragmentation of care. Um, and so it kind of defeats the purpose if uh, something like Clearhead isn't nationally rolled out as this one-stop shop where you can trust the system. Um, so quite early on, we were having conversation with the ministry um, around you know, what would it look like to kind of get the evidence needed to, to have Clearhead rolled out nationally and supported by the ministry. Um, and sort of the, f the direction w that was then given to us was that actually we need to go and engage with the 32 PHOs and the 20 DHBs because that's where the money is. Um, and most startup founders will not have those networks. Um, and I spent the last 10 years curating and, and developing those networks that allowed me the first door to open, which then opened the next door. Um, and so very clearly it's around um, if you want to run your own business, you need to take time to do little projects like what I did around building those skills to lead a team um, and building your networks. And how about with governance? Because being able to, uh, to contribute in that way and bring new perspectives to, I'm sure, a lot of the organisations that you've worked with. Uh, yeah, what advice would you have for people who, who maybe do care about how things run and do have strategic and leadership and experience and insights to, mm. to bring. Like, you know, sh should they know that the door is open and what should they do? Yeah, I think that people think that sitting on boards is something that you do after you retire and there is this archetype of um, what a board member looks like. And actually, I think the first thing to to start off is like ask yourself the question of why you're doing this. If you're doing this to you know prep up your own ego, then probably not a good idea. Um, but um, if you are doing it for the right reason, then you'll f start by searching for organizations that the causes align with what you want to make an impact on, uh, align with the values that you have, um, and then keep your eye out on opportunities because um, they, um, almost all organizations, not-for-profit, corporates, etc., will have boards, um, and those opportunities um, will come up um, randomly. Um, so it's definitely about just throwing your hat in the ring. Uh, you never really know what they're looking for. 
Um, they might be looking for that young person view. They might be looking for that Maori um, Pacifica lens. Um, so their uh, diversity is uh, crucial in allowing us to um, be able to navigate this increasingly complex world. Um, and um, so just put your hands, um, uh, just throw your head in the ring would be what I would suggest. And I mean, you've worked extraordinarily hard over a number of areas and made a, a contribution in these things already. Um, and it's been really cool to see you have been recognised in things like, you know, uh, lists of 30 people under 30 <laughs> to watch and 40 people under 40 to watch and the like. And, you know, some of the top alumni of the institutions that you've been to and the like. Like having, having had this kind of like... Um, you know, great, great kind of CV to kick off with. How do you define success and kind of like, what are you shooting for? Yeah, um, I think those lists are really arbitrary and I often feel a strong sense of imposter syndrome when I get on them um, because I know so many amazing people who are doing really cool things that um, for whatever reason um, don't happen to be on those lists. Um, but I... I do think that success um, for me is um, just being able to make a difference in my community. I feel very privileged that I've had the opportunities that I do. Um, and everything I do has been about living to my values, which is about fairness and equality, um, and being able to give back to, a, to New Zealand um, as a country who has given me so much. Um, so success for me, really, um, for the company, uh, we have global ambitions. Um, um, we would love to be that trusted global consumer healthcare brand that you know um, and that we know we're financially sustainable and touching millions of lives. Um, but, you know, for me as a person, um, if I can continue to make sure that one person um, is able to get the help early enough that, um, that prevents an unnecessary loss, um, that's success enough for me. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you for coming and sharing your story today. That's Dr. Angela Lim, the co-founder and CEO of Clearhead. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much to Simon Day for producing. And thank you very much for having us along in your ears. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited, and of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.